Well, good day, friends, and welcome to the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, it's great that you're tuning in with us today. My name's Matt, and this ministry has been prepared for the 3rd of July. Our friends, as we start, hear this sentence of scripture from Psalm 48. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, so your praise reaches to the end of the earth. Your right hand is filled with victory. Uh, this is our God, and we're going to praise him now. before. 
Well, friends, over the next seven weeks, uh, we're going to be back and forth a little bit. Uh, but today, we're starting a new series on being a loving and welcoming church. We're going to th- think through things like, uh, what is church? What's my place in church? And where do, where do other people fit in in that picture as well? Let me encourage you, if you can, please be a part of our physical gathering at church on Sundays. But if you can't, keep tuning in as we think through and wrestle with together what it looks like for us to be a loving and a welcoming church. Well, as we come to the ministry of God's word now, uh, let me pray as we come to hear him speak. Uh, Father, through the obedience of Jesus, your servant and your son, you raise a fallen world. Father, free us from sin and bring us the joy that lasts forever. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, If you've got a Bible handy, in fact, I'd encourage you to grab one if you haven't. Uh, Please open your Bible and the readings that we're going to have today. Firstly, from Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 to 8. That's our Old Testament reading. Leviticus 23, 1 to 8. Our psalm is Psalm 122. And our New Testament passage that we're going to particularly focus on today is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through to 25. So let me encourage you, pause the video now and take a moment to read it out loud together with other people. Well, let me pray as we come to think about this together now. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you would speak into our hearts Please soften them. Please help us to think carefully about what it looks like for us to be a people gathered around you and our place in that. Amen. Well, here we go. Uh, Launching into thinking about being a loving and welcoming church. But where do we start? Before we go anywhere else, uh, I think it's important to think about what church actually is and why we come here to church every week. Because our view of church will determine what we what we think and the fact the way we treat and speak to others here as well. And so that's where we're starting today. Uh, and this series, it's going to be very practical. So uh, don't go to sleep. Uh, keep listening. Keep watching on. But to start, I want to ask you, why do you come along to church each week? Or perhaps to be even more practical, let me give you this little scenario. Dave is a Christian friend of yours. You've been reading the Bible with Dave for a few weeks or maybe a few months and Dave's come to put his trust in the Lord Jesus. Dave's become a Christian. And now when you invite him to come along and join you at church this Sunday, he says to you, look, isn't church just an optional extra for the Christian life? Can't I just read my Bible and and pray and walk the Christian walk and, and not worry about church? What's the big deal with it? How would you reply? Have a think about it. 
How would you reply to someone who says that? Well, what is this thing we call church? In the New Testament, uh, the word which we translate to mean church is ecclesia. All right, have a go. Say it with me. Ecclesia. All right, that, that word may sound odd, but it also may sound familiar. We've just finished up our little series in Ecclesiastes, and its name comes from the same word group. Uh, and the name of that book tells you its intended purpose, where it's to be used. Ecclesia means a gathering, or it means an assembly of people. And so what does that mean for us? Well, as we think about church, as I, as I say church, don't think about the building, think about the people. Think about a gathering of people together. You may have heard the cliche, uh, church isn't the building, it's the people. That's exactly right. And in case you haven't noticed, as, you, as you've been reading through the Bible, gathering people to himself is exactly what God is on about. That's his intent through history. In fact, as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we see that unifying things together is God's cosmic purpose for all the world, for all of creation. It's where all things are heading. In fact, gathering people to himself is what God has been doing from the very beginning. As we look at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see God there gathering a man and a woman to himself. But of course, as we keep reading Genesis chapter 3 onward, we see that that fellowship with God was broken because of sin. And, well, we know that disastrous consequences followed, don't they? We're separated from God. People were, were spread out. And ultimately, we look, we think about the, the Tower of Babel there. But we also know that that isn't the end of things. In the other end of the Bible, we see that well, we see quite the opposite going on. We see a unique, forward-looking, unifying, gathering purpose of God established and achieved in that final day. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from every tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This isn't everyone, but it's a great multitude of people around God. Friends, this has always been God's plan. And so as we look back into the Old Testament and keep reading forward, we see that he sees dealings with the nation of Israel. And we see God gathering them, drawing, drawing them to himself so that he can bless them. But their continual unfaithfulness, their continual wickedness, their continual disobedience to God actually brought about judgment. And you know what that judgment looked like, don't you? A scattering an exile. And the exile is a big deal. But again, as we keep reading through the Old Testament, as we keep reading through our Bibles, we see that the prophets, they spoke of a day when God would act to redeem and draw his people back together again, drawing them to himself once more. Now, in various ways, the New Testament writers, they, they proclaim the fulfillment of these promises in the person and the work of of the Lord Jesus. Now for us, Hebrews is a letter written uh, in the New Testament and it argues exactly that, that Jesus is the fulfillment. And so that's where we turn now. Now, much of the letter to the Hebrews is taken up uh, with a comparison between Jesus and the old covenant that God gave to Israel. 
And it seems like it was written to Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians who are going through tough times and maybe being tempted to, to backslide, to give up on following Jesus and instead go back to the old familiar patterns of, of Moses, of the law, of the temple and all its associated practices. And so what's Hebrews all about? Well, it's a letter with one that makes one really simple, clear point. Jesus is greater. And so you'd be nuts to go back to the old covenant. Now, in chapter 10, the author's getting to the, the climax of his letter. And as we think about what church is supposed to be like, Hebrews 10 isn't a bad place to start. In these verses, we're given a picture of the why and the what of church. Now, I'm not going to deal with everything in this in these verses as we go through them, but I want to draw a few things out. Hopefully, take some time to think practically about uh, what it means for our understanding of church and especially the implications for us when it comes to being a loving and welcoming church as well. So, the why. Verses 19 to 21. Read along with me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. We'll pause there. Well, as we look at verse 19, we see that this, this passage, it starts with a therefore. And, well, this tells us that whatever he's about to say is an implication of what he's just said. And now, normally we'd stop and go back and look, but we don't need to look back too far because he actually sums up what he's already been saying in the next few verses. He gives us two points, and we see them both starting with the word since. And you might notice that the language he uses uh, it relates to the Old Testament temple and its practices. Right? It talks about the most holy place, the curtain, the high priest, the sprinkling of blood and washing clean with water. All these are elements of the Israelites' Old Testament temple and, the, and its practices. Now, the temple instruction, it was given to them by God. But the temple wasn't an, e wasn't an end in and of itself. You see, the temple and all its practices, they were simply, simply temporary measures until the time of Jesus. You see, inside the temple, we had the most holy place with a curtain that was up in front of it. And it restricted access from God. It was like a big keep out sign. And the Israelites, they, they offered sacrifices to deal with their sins and its effects. But if we read backwards, the writer of the Hebrews tells us, that the continual sacrifices, they couldn't actually take away sin. The temple and its practices, they were only a shadow of what God was going to bring through Jesus. So, verse 19, Therefore, he says, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Right there we see, access to God is no longer cut off. Keep reading. By the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way open for us, through the curtain that is his body. Here, Jesus is the one true perfect sacrifice. And it's new because it's a new covenant. And it's living because Jesus is no longer dead. He's alive. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Well, Jesus continues to be a great priest for us in heaven who mediates God to us, who continue, continues to do that through his word and by his spirit. 
And you notice in these verses that he says, these are things we have now. Someone who stands with Jesus, they have confidence before God. And so I want to stop now and ask you, do you have confidence before God? You see, this is the Christian message. This is the message of the Bible, that God loves you. And though you rebel against him and decide to go your own way, he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you on the cross. And if you put your trust in him, then you'll have your sins forgiven. And you have confidence to come before God and great hope on that final day of eternal life. So if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, this is something you need to do. So let me encourage you to do that now. Trust in the one who can give you confidence before God. But uh, this it isn't only the essence of our faith, faith as a church. It's the why of church. We're gathered as a group of Christians only because of Jesus. Without him, we have no confidence to come together before God. But with him, we have all the confidence. And building on these reasons, the author then jumps to three exhortations, three letter statements. You see it in verse 22, verse 23, and then verse 24 and 5. Lettuce, lettuce, lettuce. Like if I was to make a joke, I'd say that there's more lettuce here than there is in Woolies at the moment. All right. Now, regardless of how bad that joke is, I think that these three encouragements, they beautifully capture what church is about. And so let me tell you straight up how it relates to our gatherings. And you'll see hopefully why we're looking at this passage as part of being a loving and welcoming church. Number one, church is about God. Number two, church is about you, the individual. And number three, church is about one another. So here we go. Verse 22, church is about God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We can see it there. The encouragement is draw near to God. And there's a lot of things that are bound up in that, in that encouragement, but simply it's about living a life that's faithful to God. An entire life of worship, if you like. Giving, given the overall context of the letter written to the gathered Christians, I mean, it, it, it would appear that the author has in mind worship both in an individual sense, but especially worship in a corporate sense as well. I want to tell you that drawing near to God, is, it's exactly what we do on a Sunday as we gather at church. And this is why, for example, we start each service with a sentence, sentence of scripture. It's to help us focus our eyes and our minds on God as we begin. And again, drawing near to God is something we do both individually and corporately. And as the rest of the verse tells us, we can draw near because of the assurance that we have as followers of Jesus. So, church is about God, first of all. Secondly, Church is about us. It's about you as the individual. Verse 23, have a read with me. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now the author here, he returns to one of his major themes, major concerns of his letter. The danger 
is that the readers will fall away from the truth. They'll give up on following Jesus. Now, as individuals, we each need to hold on to the hope of our faith. We aren't saved because of the hope of the church. We aren't saved because of the church's faith. No, no, not because we're part of a church. We're only saved if we personally know and have a relationship with Jesus ourselves. Why can we hold on to our hope? Well, we see it there. It's because of the unfailing promises of our God. So again, what does church look like? Well, here it is. It's as we come before God as individuals and we're reminded of the hope that we have in the gospel. And so as we do church, hopefully you'll see that different parts of the service reflect the gospel to us. They're reminders for you and for me of the hope we have, of the forgiveness of sins that we have, of the great love of God for us. And these are things that strengthen us to live for him as we're reminded of him and of his good character and good purposes. And so, first of all, church is about God. Secondly, church is about you. And thirdly, verses 24 and 25, church is about one another as well. Now, this is the part where you need to tune back in. If you've fallen asleep, uh, wake up. This is the part that especially you need to hear. I assume that most people think that church is about, they, they, they'll agree that church is about God and about them. And in fact, I know many Christians who they probably think, in fact, I'm sure they think church is just about them. But we need to be reminded that church is about others. And so we read verse 24 and 5. And let us, in, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now our focus as Christians isn't just to be toward God on a Sunday, but looking around. There's a vertical and a horizontal dimension. We look to those around us as well. Now if you go away and have a read of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there you'll see Paul talk about what it means to be a Christian. And he, he says that if we trust in Christ, we become united to him as our head. But at that same moment, we unite, we're united and bound together in the life of the body. We're bound together with other believers around the world as well. And this image of the body is actually a pretty helpful one. Because if you think about it, uh, if for whatever reason your hand decides that it doesn't want to be part of the life of the body anymore, if it wants to tear itself off and go its own way, you'd say, that's crazy. That's, that's crazy. It's part of the body. It belongs together. And that's exactly the point. This is the reality of what we're saved into. You cannot have Christ without community. I'll say it again. You cannot have Christ without community. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, let us, encourage, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Friends, if we're going to spur one another on to love and good deeds, this means that church for us will be more than just turning up in time or barely if that for the first song. And it'll mean staying not just long enough to shake the, the preacher's hand on the way out the door. No, no, if we hear this, we're going to be people who turn up early, people who stay late because others matter to us, because we love them, 
because we're a part of the body with them. And we each need spurring on because what well, we know that in the Christian life, it's not, it's not a sprint race, is it? No. It's an endurance race. Temptation, sin and the struggles of living in a fallen world, they all continue to niggle away at us. And so we need to encourage one another to press on. We need the encouragement from other people to press on. And so we spur each other on, not just with the encouragement of sharing our lives with one another, but also speaking the word of God to each other too. And we'll think more about that next week. Christians, we live in a world that's opposed to God, that's often hostile to his people and and to God's ideals. Now, uh, I was speaking to someone through the week who's really been wrestling with the idea of, of the world's views being different to our own, really feeling that in a very practical way. They're feeling stressed like, like they're behind, stuck behind enemy lines. But they said, once they got the Bible study, once people started sharing and speaking God's word to one another, it was like this great weight off the shoulders, a sudden relief. Here's my people. And so in the opposition that we face from the world, church family are where we should turn to and get the most encouragement from. And so we read again, verse 24 and 5, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Do you hear that? Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Now there are, of course, reasons why we sometimes are unable to be at church or at Bible study. But I think we often dress those reasons up. Uh, One church leader I know uh, said, on any given Sunday, about a third of the regular members aren't actually there. And it's discouraging, he said. Discouraging not only for the church leaders, but but for everyone, the other people who are there. It says to them, you don't matter very much to me. So why is it like this? Why on, let's just say, any, any other church, a third of the people aren't there each week. Well, of course, there are holidays and sickness. We kind of expect these things. We know these things uh, are a part of life. and we, uh, They count for some of the weeks that we miss. But it's strange how quickly other weeks add up. Family events, tiring weeks, hosting a family rally who's, who's dropped in, work deadlines, weekends away. These are all reasons why people miss church. But I think in reality, what really stops many people from turning up more frequently to church is a failure to grasp just how vital the simple ministry of turning up actually is. Now, one of the more, one of the most important acts of love we can all engage in is simply the powerful encouragement of just being here. If we aren't here, we can't love people. We can't speak to them. We can't speak God's word to them. And so perhaps the most important thing you can do each week before you even set foot in church is simply plan to be there every time. Hebrews tells us, don't give up meeting together. Friends, this is a word from God. A Christian friend uh, said to me recently, look, I have trouble getting out of bed each week for Sunday. Just waking myself up and putting myself there. I have trouble after a long day dragging myself along to Bible study. But you know what? As hard as that is, I never regret going. 
because I always leave encouraged. Now, personally, I think it's so encouraging when people turn up to Bible study on their birthday or when they've got a, an assignment due the following day or, or, or a work deadline. It's really encouraging. You know why? Because it says, my church matters to me. You matter to me. What we are doing is important. Now, the last church I was a part of, uh, one of the most encouraging members there was a man, and let's call him Frank. And let me tell you why it was an encouragement that Frank was there. Uh, Frank has bone cancer. Now, if you know anything about bone cancer, you'll know that usually it's, it's, it's pretty painful. Every single one of Frank's spinal bones has cancer in it. And the number of, the number of cancer areas in his spinal vertebrae and in his ribs, it's, it's, there's too many to count, the doctor said. He has numerous cancers in his pelvis. He has cancers in his both collarbones and both shoulder blades, plus in his right arm and leg. For Frank, it's extremely painful to get around. But you know what? I can never remember a week where Frank wasn't there with a smile on his face and even doing whatever he could to help serve. When I read verse 24 and 25 in Hebrews 10, I think of the way my friend Frank sees church as something so critical to his own growth and to the encouragement of others. He wouldn't even dream of missing it. Is that how you view church? Or, like the recipients of, recipients of Hebrews, have you been neglecting this wonderful duty and opportunity? Now perhaps you do agree that church should be a place where we all pitch in and encourage one another in love, but you're just not sure uh, where to start or what to do. Let me say again, as we start this series, one of the most important things you can do before you even walk into a church is simply plan to be there. This is, this is just a first step, but that in itself is one of the greatest encouragements and acts of love for other people. Now, as we finish, be reminded that church is not just another instance of vain human attempt to do something and gain God's favor. No, no, no. Jesus has done it all. God's extraordinary purpose was not just to save you and me through Jesus, through his once for all sacrifice, but his extraordinary purpose was also to save us and gather a great number of people around himself. That Revelation chapter 7 picture. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Friends, every Christ-centered gathering around the world is an expression of that union with him that we each and with each other are that we share before God's heavenly throne. Now at the start, I, I asked that question. I put the scenario to you of your friend, Dave, who said, does a Christian have to go to church? Can't I be a Christian without going to church? Well, hopefully you can see that that's actually rather an absurd, absurd question to ask. It's sort of like asking, if I marry her, do I have to live with her? Like, can you see how, how strange, how, how kind of weird that question is? 
Because if, if you belong to Christ, then you belong to the body. Church is not just an optional extra or add-on for the Christian life. No, no. This is just fundamentally who you are if you belong to Jesus. And so remember, church, it's about God. Church is about you as, in, in, as the individual. And church is about one another. The most basic reason that we go to church is that we belong together around God. Now, understanding this is the first step in us making headway as we consider how we're going to live out and, and what it means to be a loving and welcoming church. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have so loved us that you sent Jesus to die for us. Father, help us to live our lives for his glory. Father, help us to live uh, with a whole life of worship to you. And Father, we pray that that flows over into us seeing the reason for church and the why, the why of church and the what of church. Father, help us to see uh, that your purpose in the world is gathering people to yourself, to see the vital importance of that and to see to start to glimpse our role and our important place in that as we encourage one another. My Father, I pray that as we keep thinking these things through, that we would prioritise church that we would prioritise loving each other. Father, help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to have a time of praise again now.
Well, we come now to a time of prayer. And so in a moment, a little screen's going to come up with a few prayer points on it. You might like to pause and uh, pray these things through. There's plenty of things to be praying for. Plenty of big things in our world, plenty of things personally, and plenty of things more uh, locally at a, at a, a community level. And so let me encourage you to stop and be praying. Uh, and especially be praying about what we've, what we've been thinking about now from Hebrews 10, uh, about how we see, consider, and value our church. Uh, at the very end, we're going to, uh, you'll see a slide uh, that has some uh, banking details on it. If you love the Lord, if you want to worship him with your, with your whole life, uh, we believe part of that is not just with our, not just with our actions or just with our words, uh, but or in our minds, but with our pockets as well. And so if you want to support the work of St. Augustine's, uh, there's a way that you can uh, do that simply. And so let's go to a time of prayer.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we give you thanks that you have so loved us, that you have shown your generosity to us in the Lord Jesus. Father, help us to be generous back to you. And, and Lord God, we thank you for the way that you uh, blessed us and, and for the financial provision you give us. Father, help us to use what you give us uh, wisely and lovingly so that the name of Jesus may be proclaimed faithfully uh, and we are growing in Christ together. Uh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, as we go, uh, let me encourage you to keep thinking about what it means uh, to love and serve uh, our, our Lord and love and serve others at church around us with our lives. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to think about it during the week. Hopefully you can even create for yourself some homework. Uh, friends, we pray that this may be a great encouraging time for us and a great encouraging series for us as a church over the next little while. And so have a great week. Uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.